0: To the mechanical room. Mecha- mecha- A Centrotherm production focusing on all things in and around the HVAC industry. And now, your hosts, Michael Sakaris and Matthew Price.
1: Two episode two and we got a doozy for today, Mr. Price, don't we? Yes, we do. It's actually it's kind of funny that you called it season two, episode two. I was talking with my wife and she was like, Well, you need to pick something because I it is an episode thirteen? No, I it, don't
2: like it that way. You don't like it that way? Uh, you, uh,
1: every year is a is a season. Okay. I mean, I, I am certainly keeping a mental tally of how many we we have done. It's easier um,
2: to keep track of that way.
1: I, I certainly um, am proud that we were twelve for twelve, and now of course thirteen. In the new year as well and this of course will right. be the 14th episode but i do kind of like that how you know very tv netflixy you know season two episode yeah, two and uh and you're right we absolutely do have a fascinating and intriguing guest who comes to us in a kind of an intriguing way so how do we know this dude who is he and uh and how do we find him? well i would say first and foremost most
2: economists are pretty boring but this dude is not He is very entertaining. He came to us through an association that we belong to, that we love. That's Hardy. And uh, he was one of the uh, one of the keynote speeches, I believe. And uh, he's going to come to us and tell us uh, the boring subject of economics, which he makes absolutely riveting in his way that uh, that he speaks and presents.
1: Yeah. So it's actually super fascinating to uh, I mean. Shout out again to Hardy. Talbot of course has been on our podcast here yes. and, uh, and Guy is a speaker at our Miami event coming up here in, in about two and a half weeks. Uh, Hardy obviously is something that's, we're, we're super close to both of our hearts as we are both on the councils and we're a member, Central Therm is a sustaining member of Hardy. Great organization filled with great people. Join and, if you're not in. Yeah, um, and we're not getting paid to say that. No, we pay to be part of it, so it's actually the opposite way. Right. Um, but that good, it is a you know, largely these conferences that we do go to are networking events, and it's fantastic that we have met this fellow who was entertaining. We reached out to him, super engaging, super ready to uh to share his knowledge. Uh, wait to let uh, wait to he hear his bio. Um, he, he sent me like a book, he's been on all kinds of he's stuff. He's written books, he's written books. His biography it has so many titles in it and some really interesting stuff. Uh, I have a feeling. That he is going to be a very fascinating guest, which is fantastic. Our our guest last month was super fascinating. We're up in the game here on the Mechanical room, and uh, you know, it's just exciting with very much exciting stuff to come, including this guy in a mask, uh, reading you know books and reading all kinds of weird stuff that we to have. An inspection oh, and- yeah, oh <laughs> yeah.
2: All right, so why don't we? Uh, I think he's joining us any second here. So let's uh, let's uh, turn it over.
1: Well, let's do the pipe segment first, as we always do. Oh, that's right. So, he's gonna have to hold. Yes. We're yes. gonna put him on pause. Mr. Basu, will be right with you. But first, first let's uh, let's show the pipe to the world. He can watch and learn.
2: <laughs> we'll see you in a bit, Mr. Basu. Hang tight.
1: Show us your type segment. This one comes out of the San Francisco Bay Area from our friend, uh, Corey Page. That's at Pedro underscore tech510, the legendary Instagram account of Corey Page. And he's got himself quite, quite a installation here. Uh, I'm showing it on the screen right now. I do want to shout out, he did, he did us the great service of just like tagging all of the products that he uses here. So, quick shout out to no, central interflu, of course, the, the, the thing that holds this whole thing together, of course. Oh. Uh, well, Vies- not, not the glue. The right. No glue. No, the uh, The solvent. Blue is not needed. The, the, the lubrication here that, that holds this whole mechanical loop together. But shout out to Wiesman, to Webstone, to Viega, to Watts, to Bell and Gossett, Hold Right, ProPress, Skates and uh, i think that's all he's got here he's tagged a whole bunch of other stuff in here including my like, pipe insulation and world plumbers and things like and all this wonderful stuff to get him more of these great followers on instagram but uh it's i love when they shout out all of the stuff to show what they're working with and this is a great example of all of this stuff coming together to make a great great installation
2: and something that i said before you know that we intend this to be a little bit educational and for you know somebody new you not only see it but you also get the manufacturers that are part of this installation and hopefully that helps shape you know how you do great installs like this
1: for for yourself absolutely and i mean properly supported is uh you know i'm showing right now just the 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 horizontal but you can see all of the the clamps are in place this thing is not going anywhere this is solid as a rock installation i'm guessing this is uh you know a residence somewhere but man this is a really intense mechanical room with all of these incredible products put together and i mean this these photos in particular um, really showcase the complexity of what goes into an installation like this. There is just so much going on to keep, you know, the house warm, to keep the hot water going without having any carbon monoxide lakes, to, to, you know, water on demand, gas furnaces, or, get, you know, I mean, gas appliances. I mean, it's pretty intense. I, I readily admit to being, you know, a layperson in terms of the what goes into stuff like this. So it's always, always impressive to me.
2: Yeah, and this month we said uh, we wanted to do something residential. Uh, In the past, we've done some commercial-looking jobs, you know, larger diameter, big mechanical rooms. This is probably somebody's basement. This is a real-world install. Could be in your
1: house. Yeah, I don't. I got to go look at my mechanical again. Mine doesn't. Mine doesn't look that good. It doesn't look like. Do you need Corey to come to New York? Are you (laughs) are you willing to move out here? (laughs) All right. So shout out to Corey Page. Thanks again. You've got yourself a Central Therm swag pack coming your way because you have showed us your pipe. Welcome back to the mechanical room. And we are very, very excited to welcome in Aniban Basu, a, a man who was introduced to us when we stared at his handsome face up on the Hardy stage Keynote at, speaker. at the annual conference. So that's how we know him. So thank you to Hardy for um for putting together like a like a always an impressive list of speakers who are fascinating. So much so that we go knock on the door and say, hey, can you please, please come to our podcast? We'd love to talk to you a little bit more. So uh, so thank you, first of all, to, uh, for, for coming on. And uh, just briefly about Mr. Basu, Dr. Basu, that is, uh, chairman and CEO, CEO of the SAGE Policy Group. That's an economic and policy consulting firm headquartered in Baltimore, Maryland, with an office in sunny Orlando, Florida. They provide strategic analytical services to energy suppliers, law firms, medical systems, government agencies, and real estate developers, among others. In 2014, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan appointed him chairman of the Maryland Economic Development Commission. Uh, He serves as the chairman of the Baltimore County Economic Advisory Committee, as well as so much other stuff that i'm going to let you talk about um you've lectured at johns hopkins university most recently in global strategy he's taught international economics urban economics micro and macroeconomics at johns hopkins and you host a radio show that can be heard weekdays on 88.1 fm wypr the voice of baltimore welcome dr basu thank you so much for joining us um i will first and foremost say, I, I didn't read like 17 more paragraphs of this biography. There is a lot going on here and we're going to get to it all. So Michael, why don't you greet our guests?
2: So Mr. Basu, Dr. Basu, welcome and thank you. We were, uh, when we were at the Hardy uh, Conference, we were both very uh, engaged. You sucked us in with your data in the way that you make typically what is sometimes kind of boring economics. You made it absolutely uh, riveting. So I guess my first question, and welcome again, is how do you do it? How do you take numbers and charts and stuff like that and make it so exciting?
0: Well, I've been told that some economists are boring. That's what I've heard. It's true. And I don't know how that's. I don't know how it's possible because economics is about people, and people are interesting, but they're also largely insane. Uh, and so economics is about calamities often it's about the crazy things that people do and the crazy things that they want and that's interesting to me i think that human behavior is funny in many cases sometimes tragic but often quite hilarious and so i talk about stories uh you know and, and human beings interacting with their environment and it often leads to uh, complete madness mayhem and some some chaos as well so anyway that's that's the approach well, the last couple of years have has given you no
2: material then. Chaos, calamity. How how do you, you know, how do you wrap your head around, honestly, now? How do you wrap your head around, you know, COVID, supply chain issues, and and you take all this stuff and you educate people, right? How how do you rationalize all the craziness and put it into something concise that gives members of the, the industry guidance? How do you do
0: that? Oh, I don't try to rationalize it, you know, so little of this is actually rational. So much of this was in the realm of the unknown. We just didn't know what this pandemic was going to look like, how long it was going to last, how long vaccines would take to manifest themselves, uh, how many people would take the vaccine, would they be effective, all these kinds of things. And so policymakers in particular, the Federal Reserve, the federal government, uh, state governors, so on and so forth, are making policies, not knowing what the future is going to bring, and therefore not knowing how their policies are going to shape the future. And so here we find ourselves with the uh, record high levels of gross domestic product, a much wealthier U.S. household base uh, than we would have had but for the pandemic. So that's uh, some craziness right there. A national debt that's now over 30 trillion dollars and in sky high inflation. So I, I, is any of that rational? I don't know, but it's interesting. Uh, and, uh, and so the question becomes, what does tomorrow bring? And that's often what I try to discuss with my audiences.
1: So what does tomorrow bring?
0: Well tomorrow brings more inflation well tomorrow brings as it turns out the weekend uh, as uh, based, based on when we're doing this but but um I think you know the the next few months are going to be months that we see ongoing elevated inflation uh including inflation that affects the u s construction industry and and it affects uh, uh distributors as well uh you we are going to see an economy that's still growing because demand for various goods and services is so strong the households are still spending plentifully. Businesses are investing more in equipment because they can't fund workers to hire uh, and governments, uh, whether the federal government or state local governments are spending uh, fairly significantly as well. So you put all that together, the demand side of the economy is pretty strong. Then the supply side is uh, having a, a difficult time keeping up with that demand. That's the issue, right? Supply chain issues. You know, we've got all of a sudden Canadians blocking bridges. I mean, again, more craziness. And uh, and so that inflation remains in place for quite some time. The Federal Reserve. Our central bank is now switching gears They're pivoting for months It was transitory, transitory, transitory. Don't worry about inflation. It's going to go away. It didn't. And now they're actually going to do something about it. And they will begin in March at uh, the debate right now in March uh, is whether or not they'll increase interest rates 0.25 uh, percent or 0.5 percent. The markets uh, recently heard that it might be 0.5 percent and went crazy. Um, more recently, the notion is that, no, the Federal Reserve uh, policymakers want to be more gradual in their uh, rate hiking, and so the markets uh, more recently, uh, in the last few hours, have uh, have been more stable. But in any case, that's what the next few months will bring. Do you do you see supply chain
2: settling out in the next, uh, you know, six months a year? What, when do you think things will kind of go back to some semblance of normalcy?
0: Right. So we are right now in February. You and I, as we're talking, we're in February of 2022. So I want to say six months. But if it turns out to be a year, I'm gonna make the claim that this was actually conducted in August of this year. So um, I think it's about six months. I'll tell you why I say that. Omicron seems to be fading. Uh, Europe basically has reopened. So too has the United Kingdom to the extent that one views them as separate from the the Europeans. Um, And it's the same thing in America, right? So we're seeing various state governors uh, eliminate mask mandates in indoor spaces. So we're starting to transition out of this pandemic Uh, And uh, and so I think normalcy is re-emerging. And if you talk to uh, uh, people like the CEO of Hyundai or some of these other auto manufacturers, they think the chip shortage will be over by basically the third quarter of this year. Uh, And so we'll see more auto production, more vehicles on uh, dealership lots, uh, used car prices settling down a little bit because they've been rising very quickly, as people know, during much of the pandemic. So I'm going to say six months. But if I'm wrong, I'm going to say that I said 12 months.
1: Okay, we will hold you to uh, which whichever one is stamp? the correct, whichever one is the correct prognostication. Can we date stamp and then switch it? If we can we need to? Absolutely, I, I can switch the green screen to have a wintry look for February or a summery look for August. So we'll swap it in back and forth, and we'll play complete games with whatever time to make you look as accurate as possible. We want you to look yeah. good. Man. Want
0: to, I, I want to look good. So you you
1: threw in the in that last response you threw out all kinds of names of of agencies and government bodies and and industry stuff like that. This is kind of an abstract question, but if you could assume any role in any of this chain, you know any of those, whether it's Federal Reserve or or some government agency role, whatever, whatever, what what would you do? What would you pick? And like and what what would be your day one? Uh, you know, policy uh movement.
0: Yeah, I would be czar of immigration. Uh, I would appoint myself czar of immigration because I think when you look at America demographically, as everyone knows, we're getting older. Uh, the number of workers per Social Security recipient has been dipping for decades. It used to be, you know, 1960, it was 6.1 workers for every one Social Security recipient. We're going, getting close to two now uh, in the years to come. Uh, part of the story is that we don't have a really coherent legal immigration strategy. Illegal immigration is a difficult to deal with. There's no solution to that that'll make anyone happy, basically. But uh, legal immigration, I think we can sort that out. And you know, we, we can't alter the birth rates of two decades ago. right? We had whatever babies we had two or three decades ago. But immigration is a great way to birth a 30-year-old. And maybe a 30-year-old with a software engineering degree. Yeah. Or maybe somebody who's a really good welder or carpenter or road builder right? or bridge painter. And or so planner. we need those kinds of people in the economy, exactly. So we need those kinds of folks. And so let's sort this out. Let's figure out how we engage the rest of the world, uh, increase our tax base, increase entrepreneurship, uh, pay more monies into Social Security and Medicare trust funds, uh, you know, balance our budget, at least eventually, uh, because I think it's going to take immigrants, uh, legal immigrants to, to do that. So that's, that's what I would be, the czar of immigration.
1: That's honestly, I mean, man, that, that to me, that's sort of out of left field, but a completely genius answer. Uh, I was, you know, sort of expecting something like Chairman of the Federal Reserve or President or Speaker of the House, you know, some some other thing that's a little bit maybe more, um, sexy, Formal. sexy Formal. or known, if you will. But that's really interesting the way uh, because you really can enact a lot of positive change. This that, that analogy of birthing a thirty-year-old, especially one that's got like marketable skills. It's a really fascinating uh fascinating angle and something. so let
2: me look at that from a different perspective though right I, i'm an immigrant right i came here when i was two uh it, things are different i came from europe people are coming from different parts of the world my wife is an english has a second language teacher she get she has kids from all over the world are we as a country as sexy as we were 20 30 40 you know 15 years ago when i came in here as a two-year-old now, are we as sexy as a country or do people not want to go to singapore to china to different places because there's more opportunity there
0: well sexy is relative right so you know people magazine says sexiest man of the year well he's sexy relative to other males i guess so uh it's relative and so i still think we're bloody sexy i think we're sexy as hell um because it's all relative so i'll give you an example when i go to japan you know what i see a lot of people who look like they're from japan Right, there's not a lot of immigrants there, right? It's not the kind of society that embraces the rest of the world very easily. America is different, great melting pot. So we can embrace cultural heritage of anyone from any part of the world, Uh, and uh, and we need to leverage that skill, that ability of our society to accommodate um, uh, in in a way that we're not doing right now. We need to cherry pick. I've said it a million times before. I think it should be like a the NFL draft. So it should be something like. You know, Maryland selects with its first pick, Sun Yum Kim, aerospace engineer, Seoul, South Korea. And then you have Mel Kuyper come on, talk about this guy is five foot six. He runs a nine second 40. He can bench press 75 pounds, but he's got double 800s on his SATs. And man, he's got 15 patents. That's what we need, you know? And in Massachusetts, you're on the clock. And we just don't do that the way we could. And so yeah, Singapore is sexy. Australia is sexy. United Kingdom is sexy. Canada is a fantastic society. But no one among the very large economies has as much ability to embrace the world as we do. Canada is still one-tenth of our size, roughly. So uh, we, we have a special place in the world. And, and, you know, and so uh, I think we still are very sexy.
2: We need a new campaign. Yeah. Um, Dr. Basu for immigration czar. I, I mean, that was a killer answer. I well, like that.
1: I was going to say, you've got my uh, you've got my vote. I'm just going to, you know, Mr. Mr. Biden, um, we've got a new candidate here. Uh, we are going to reshape this country and uh, move it towards uh, exactly what you just said.
2: There, Bring in the skill that we need. On the on the, uh, on the subject of skill, and this is something that we've talked about in the past, we've had distributor people on the, on the program. We've had installing contractors, guys that are doing the day-to-day Uh, work with tools on here and what, you know, what they're trying to do to shape and to bring people into the, into the industry. In your mind, what do, what, how do we get more people in the HVAC plumbing industry? You know, when you're looking at data, how do we draw, how do we draw more people into this business?
0: Uh, We reorient uh, school curricula. So, you know, for instance, a lot of our finest HVAC workers are baby boomers, right? They're not particularly young. And they grew up at a time when there was shop class in high school. You know, shop class was typically taught by someone with enormous arms, wearing a Rush T-shirt, driving a Trans Am. And so these young people were able to develop a love of working with heavy equipment early in life. They went into construction with purpose. You know, they went into manufacturing, the skilled trades generally with purpose. That's what they wanted to be. They wanted to be a carpenter. You know, they wanted to be, a, you know, work for a mechanical contractor. Whatever it happened to be, that's what they wanted. Because they were exposed early on to that kind of opportunity, that pathway to the middle class. But of course, in recent decades, we have embraced an assessment-rich environment, and the assessments are done to make sure the kids are ready for college. And college is great for a lot of folks, please do not get me wrong, but it's not the right pathway for everybody. And so a lot of kids are not aware of these pathways into the middle class, including those pathways that involve the skilled trades. And so if you ask me the question, how do we get more people in the HVAC, it's that early exposure so that every kid who would want to go into that segment ends up in that segment. But many people who would want to be in that segment don't even know it exists as a possible uh, pathway to the middle class or better, because a lot of HVAC folks become entrepreneurs themselves, right? They start their own contracting company, so the sky—you know—the sky is the limit there. So I, I think that's what you do. You try to—you try to go back to the way we were, you know, back to the future. Try to expose kids to more than simply getting ready for the SATs or ACTs.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, to tie it back to Hardy, which is how, of course, we know you. That's obviously a very big part of, of what they're doing and a very big focus, including I'm sure you're you must be somewhat familiar with their documentary. If you haven't seen it, it's literally about that. The whole thing. Hot Commodity. Christopher was the executive producer on it. We, we talked about it a number of times because this topic comes up all the time, um, sort of the thinning trades and how to get it, how to get people more interested in in that sort of thing. And Hardy is super committed to doing just that and and fostering the next generation of technicians, right? So um, we know you from Hardy. Hardy is is a great time. Uh, I, I personally enjoy it. I, I imagine you as well, otherwise you wouldn't go. Um, I, I guess I wanted to ask you about, you know, what other fun speaking engagements you've been a part of? And what's the most awkward one you've ever been a part of?
0: Yeah, okay. So I am also the chief economist for associatives and contractors. Okay. Very wonderful organization, 20,000 members across the country. And, um, but they are uh, basically the, rooted in the merit shop philosophy, right? Non-union shops, right? Merit shop. So one time I was uh, invited uh, to the, to speak to the Mechanical Contractor Association of Philadelphia. And these were hardcore union people. And I don't get involved in ABC's legislative affairs, right? I'm just an economist talking about the data, but they knew I was close with ABC and ABC is non-union, Mayor Chuck. Uh, and so as I'm speaking to this group, and these were tough looking guys. And I think, I don't, I don't remember if there are any women in the audience actually, but these are tough looking union labor leaders, right? Really, I mean, they look like, you know, the, the sopranos basically. And, um, and they refused to laugh at my jokes. So I was trying to pop one zinger, you know, one liners out there to zing them, but they refused to laugh. And I think I saw one guy, maybe from New Jersey, I don't know, smirk a little bit toward the end. But it was very awkward because I'm speaking, I'm trying to get them to engage me and they were just have none of it. So I'm not sure why they invited me. I think at the end, they gave me a pat on the back and said, get out. So (laughs) um, uh, so that was probably the most awkward speech I've given. I I would do it again, though, in a heartbeat, because uh, obviously I'm trying to convey information I deem to be useful and important.
1: Well, luckily, that was not the, the experience at Hardy as, you know, pretty much everybody at their table was, was in, certainly enjoying. Got lots of lots of laughs um, in that room, which is what, you know, what prompted us to, to start knocking on the door and say, hey, we, 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 we're a little selfish. We want to get some of those laughs for yeah, us. But, but we also,
2: I mean, you, you combined laughs based on s- significant serious data. Uh, And you were there to kind of give us, uh, you know, kind of an outlook of what the future, you know, holds. So with that, how's this year? You said, you know, GDP is at record levels. How's this year going to finish? What does three years out look like? What does five years out look like?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this year is a year of growth. It's just, you know, we saw this reopening of the global economy from the pandemic. We've been reopening in fits and starts. We have had all this stimulus injected into the economy and that stimulus is still working its way through the economy so again i think it's a year of growth i'm not saying that people are necessarily happy as we know many americans are very unhappy about how the economy is performing um you know seven and a half percent inflation over the past year that kind of thing but we've got an unemployment rate of four percent we've got 10.9 million available unfilled jobs in america i think some americans at least have taken for granted the the, the notion that they can get a job when they want it you know in, for many decades in this country you didn't take a job for granted certainly not during the great depression you know, a job was something very precious. But now I think the, the view is in a, a a quite prosperous society, at least in the aggregate quite prosperous society, that you know, job is not a big deal. I, I can get a job any time. But that was not always the case in America, that's for sure. Um and so the job market is quite good, a lot of demand for talent out there, wages are rising quite quickly, which is part of the broader inflation story. So I think that's how the year plays out. It's a year of growth, and steadily the global supply chain issues begin to dissipate, and we'll start to see less inflation by the second half of 2022 with respect to the three and five year outlook well, that's trickier because we have some issues here don't we we have you know ongoing retirement from the labor force we've got a national debt of 30 trillion dollars we've got a federal reserve that's now raising interest rates that's right? so a boring costs are about to go up by and large that's not good for construction for instance because the cost of capital goes up and so project financing becomes more expensive you know we, we you know, we. We, we've been accustomed to these low interest rates, low boring costs, but if the bond market ever wakes up and says, you, you know, you, you Americans are not good for this, you're, you're a risk, and we don't think you're going to va- pay us back with valuable currency, we might see at some point in the future, maybe in the next five years, a sharp increase in borrowing costs. Well, we're so leveraged at the household level, at the corporate level, at the government level, that even small increases in interest rates can do a lot of damage to the U.S. economy. So you put all that together, you know, the outlook in three years can be very different from what it is right now. You know, the outlook in five years could be even more different because we've built up all these imbalances. So, again, how are we going to get through that period? I would say let's increase labor force participation. Let's create more incentives for Americans to get back to work. I think you will see more of that during the months ahead. You've already been seeing that because bills are getting tougher to pay, right? And the stimulus is increasing in the rearview mirror. So uh, the one-year outlook, I think, is good. The three- and five-year outlooks, very questionable said incentives to
1: get back to work now, obviously a paycheck is part of that health care benefits is there anything else you're you're
0: alluding to there well i think the taste and preferences of the workforce have changed so uh you know when i was growing up uh you could bribe me basically uh, you know if you if you wanted me to work on a weekend you know i've only had one boss in my career dr michael a conti brilliant economist uh undergraduate you know, phd michigan and you know if you wanted me to work on the weekends no problem you know pay me more, you know, if, you, if, you know, you, you want me to work, right, work and fine, right. yeah, because I, I just want a three-series BMW, right, Um, you know, I was in my 20s, and that's what we all wanted, a three-series BMW, um, just pay me, so, you know, you could get me to work hard just by paying me more, the young people today don't seem as infatuated with money, so I'll give you an example, you know, Uber and Lyft have um, this pricing mechanism where they conduct surge pricing, so when there are not enough cars on the road, and there's a lot of, riders looking to be picked up, uh, they raise the, the, the pay, the compensation that drivers will receive if they turn on the app and get out on the roads. Well, when I was growing up, that would have caused more people to just jump on the roads and stay on the roads as long as that surge pricing was in place. But young people seem to have something different in mind. In many cases, they have what's called a reservation wage. They have a goal for the day. I want to make $100 today. I want to make $150 today. And when you have surge pricing, it means you actually end up giving fewer trips because you get to $150 faster. So you know, all kinds of things are changing. And also, you know, I'm told that young people value work-life balance, work-life balance. And what that means to me is not much work, lots of life. And so um, it's just harder to keep people at work. They're looking for more flexible hours. A recent survey indicated that 68% of Americans would prefer to work remotely, which makes it, of course, very difficult for distributors and contractors and others that need people to be at the job site so that's what i mean we've got to somehow create incentives um to get people back to work that means probably less generous stimulus payments going forward less generous unemployment insurance benefits for instance especially when you get four percent unemployment and 10.9 million available job openings but employers individual employers have to also offer that flexibility because otherwise they're not going to get the best talent so
2: that, that was interesting you you were talking about a trend that's emerging and this is going to take me back to my economics class you know, a few years ago when the original Megatrends book came out, you probably you may know it. Uh what that's an interesting, you know, comment that you made about Uber and, and surge pricing. What other megatrends do you see shaping the future? Are are there any you know that you can you know put your arms around? That that's kind of a kind of a tough question, I think, on the spot here.
0: I mean just the frenetic pace of technological progress, I mean whether it's artificial intelligence, augmented reality, the metaverse I think I suspect that you're going to see a lot of people living in the metaverse. Um I, so I suspect it's addictive. Yeah. So people are, <laughs> yeah. people are ready. ready player one, right? Uh, yeah, uh,
1: I I kind of want to go back to what you were saying just before um what do you think uh or trace that generational shift? What like why do you so I, I like I'm sort of in a unique position here. I think I'm kind of like in between. I'm certainly approaching middle age. I'm still on the south side of 40. i in some in some People see me, you know, uh, I'm young, and certainly my, you know, my marketing associate sees me as like super old. So it's like an interesting place for me to be, in between generations almost. Um, why is there such a divide between so-called, you know, the the older generation and the new generation? Where where did what happened that caused this sort of divide division in work life balance or uh, the the evo- the evolution of the workplace, or is it just that?
0: Uh, Matthews the millennial, it is history um, uh, it, it's you know when you think about the generation that grew up during the Great Depression and then fought in World War II and then created the suburbs, those were people who just took nothing for granted. They didn't even take the meal on their table for granted. right They said grace um, but since that time, we've become just such a more prosperous society, so we just we take food for granted now. Right We take the, that the water is going to flow from uh, from the faucet for granted. We take indoor plumbing for for granted. You know all these things that people did not have. We take the fact that we're going to have a dishwasher and a washing machine and a dryer accessible to us for granted. And so I think all of a sudden priorities change. when you've got what you need, all of a sudden the question becomes what do you want, But when you're not sure that you're going to get what you need, you work really hard. And so I think those older generations are more wedded to a really disciplined work ethic. Um, and younger generations are faced with something a bit different. I'm not saying they're lazy, by the way. We have phenomenally hardworking uh, Gen Z and Gen X members of our society, and Gen Y members, of course, millennials. But uh, but I am saying that they grew up during a different time when all of a sudden they could they could take more things for granted.
1: So interesting. Uh, so so I, 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 you know a, a sunny way to to put us put a spin on that would say we're sort of all starting at the higher. Elevation of the pyramid of needs, basically. Yeah, is Maslow's
2: it, hierarchy of needs,
1: right? So so we're, we're you know, a, a great. Now, obviously, this isn't true for everybody because food insecurity is certainly a real thing. And many, sure. many people live in poverty. And, you know, um, but as a as society, we're a click better than than our, uh, our previous generations. And, and thus, the priorities are, are shifted naturally, whether or not we are even conscious of it. Is that is that what you're kind of getting at?
0: Yeah, I think that's right. That, you know, basically, you don't have to work really, really hard to eat. But during the Great Depression, you had to work really, really hard and be very clever and entrepreneurial to eat, right? We had unemployment uh, of 25 percent, uh, you know, back then. Uh, so, you know, fortunes had been lost in the stock market. People had lost their homes in very large numbers. So you're just going to have a different attitude toward life and the economy under those circumstances, as with a, you know, under a circumstance in which, you know, the federal government uh, just spent six trillion dollars stimulating the economy. Um, you know, people eat. In fact, you can make the argument that they eat too much, and, um, and and they have a lot at their fingertips. I'm not saying that everyone has what they need, by the way. We have homeless issues and so on and so forth. We need, you know, probably need more drug treatment, these kinds of things. Don't get sure. me wrong. I'm not saying that everyone has everything they need, not at all. Okay. But if you think about our middle class, our middle class, I think, faces you know, faces some amount of uncertainty, of course, in the future. We all do, but at least they have their basic needs taken care of. On a day-to-day basis, and they they can basically assume that in the following weeks they'll also have their basic needs taken care of.
2: So tying this back to your czar of immigration comment, is there does is there a connection or a motivator for these immigrants that come in? Does that you know kind of build a foundation and and put more uh, you know urgency in hard work and you know different expectation? Is there a connection between between those things, immigration and expectations and such?
0: of course course. there's no question immigrants have to work really hard along multiple dimensions to fit into the society to get that first job often you know to work their way up the ladder to work their way into the middle class uh now you know some immigrants come with uh, graduate degrees and so on and so forth and they already have a job lined up uh out of the coming out of graduate school someplace else that's true but yeah i think immigrants work really hard and they're also very entrepreneurial i mean elon musk is from south africa i mean imagine what this country would look like without elon musk right he's going to take us to Mars, not to mention all the things he's done with, you know, other things he's done with SpaceX and and electric vehicles. So, um, yeah, immigrants work really hard often. I'm I'm stereotyping here. Many people who are not immigrants work really hard, too. I'm not an immigrant, as it turns out, but I'm the son of immigrants. And uh, my father worked really, really hard. My mother worked really, really hard to make it in the society and to raise me. Uh, I think that gives you a burst of energy when you see that kind of, immigration that inflow of immigration that's what we've been about as a country we've been about hard work and we're we're thought of in many cases as some of the hardest working people in the world well a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're always bringing this fresh supply of people who are motivated to make it because they hadn't weren't able to make it in their homelands but they have an opportunity to make it big here
1: yeah it's funny i mean so i'm also a descendant of immigrants of course um you know as, as all of us basically are in the united states you know in some you know, comparison. my wife is like you know, 10, 12 generations. I'm only like three from from when my great grandparents came to Ellis Island from Italy. And you can definitely see how the, the uh, you know my the the stonemason yeah. great-grandparent. Then my grandfather was like a landscaper, and my mom was then the first one to go to college out of the out of the family. You know, whatever. She had a degree in English, right? And then I've advanced to you know graduate degrees and what. It's a, it's an interesting you know generational uh, ascension. You know that as you've kind of put roots down and and then just sort of exist in the in the country. You know, so so yeah, my like my great grandparents are, are that bootstraps, you know, uh, Im- immigrant and me four generations later. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess you know, I personally start, I recognize my privilege of being a little bit higher up on the on the pyramid than um, you know many other people, whatever. So. Right. So I, I, t- t-
2: I tell my kids all the time, like what they want was so totally different than me you know i remember going to school not speaking english and it's you know the needs and the expectations are so way different and i you know i tell them but i don't know if it sinks sinks in sometimes on how different things are
1: so the fascinating so his so his kids are 13 and 7 right so they're not workforce age yet what do you see coming for the next for his what do you even call those kids like what generation are they i don't even know do we have a name for them yet but so we I'm sure we do we, we there's lots of stuff written about millennials of course ad nausea i mean most of it is negative which just fascinates me um but uh you know gen z and you know and obviously you're sort of gen x and we all we talk generationally all the time um as we look at hiring trends yeah. and and all that stuff what do you make some you know what what do you think about the those kids that are that are his kids age what what's the landscape look like for them or are there what other interesting trends um is that age group going to sort of face as they enter a workforce
0: well i i can tell you is they're going to face just rampant technological change we have no idea what they're going to be doing and how they're going to be doing it you know we're now for instance you know we have you know we build houses in this country but we're now 3D printing homes in this country for the first time, right? The techniques are totally changing in terms of of how we do that. When I was growing up, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't have computers, right? You know, we we, we didn't work with computers. We didn't have the internet. You know, I, everyone remembers that Katie Keurig uh, question that she asked on today. Uh, what what exactly is this internet thing? You know, I mean, that's where we were, right? I thought plain paper facts was the end of history. You know, I mean, that was wow. This is awesome. You know, uh, um, and so you know, I I. My, the first album I ever bought was uh, Zanyata Modata by the police on 8-Track. You know, so uh, it is, it, the pace of technological progress is just so fast that yeah. we don't know what these kids are going to have to do. So, what, 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 how, so if you're a 13-year-old or a 7-year-old, what's the key to your future? It's epistemology. It's the knowledge of how to acquire knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's knowing how to learn because you're going to have to adapt really, really quickly. Um, and, and that's where the secret sauce is going to be, those analytical skills that allow people to pride- uh, problem-identify, problem-solve, and of course, use whatever techniques are available or becoming emergent in terms of solving problems. So that's what's going to be about. It. But I have no better answer than that, because that's how quickly things are changing.
1: Especially. No, It is. And actually, it's funny to, to tie it back to our industry. You know, obviously, technology plays a, a big role. But to go back to the hardy, hot commodity vibe and, and lack of folks in the trades, there there will not be robotic plumbers in auntie's generation that i I could think of you're going to still need running water and hot water and stuff like that i mean the human element of certain certain trades jobs are not quite ready to be automated you know the technology for that stuff isn't isn't quite there yet which is you know a big concept that like a lot of these uh, folks in our industry and other podcasts are are, are, you know make a big make a big deal about because there will be occupations for for people who know how to do plumbing you know switching out a water heater air, conditioning, air AC all that you know all that trade stuff is, is is kind of still here and though the appliances are are certainly um evolving and, and getting better that technology you know it's being i mean well you can just trace the efficiency of a water heater from you know when i was a kid to what it is today in way different Way, way different, but uh, still a human being turning that wrench, hooking up the hoses. So,
2: so let me let me tie in. Uh, you know, we're talking technology. We talked earlier about you know the uh, uh, the uh, boomers and the generation extras that are doing a lot of the technical work right now in the field with the tools. But we we're seeing, and I don't know if you, if you see it or have been involved with it, but we're seeing uh, an interesting uh, drive with younger generation technicians that are doing their work and sharing their work digitally via social media uh and they are influencing and through that interaction they're they're actually training and they're kind of bringing sexy back if you will to the trades uh, do you see this How, you know are you following this trend in and of itself on, on your end
0: yeah i have seen this and i'll tell you you know the, the different definitions for generations right so Typically, my generation, Gen X, is defined as being born from 1965 to 1979. Uh, the millennials are often defined as being born from 1980 to 1996 or 1997. The uh, the new up and coming generation, the youngest members of the workforce is Gen Z. I don't know who came up with these names, by the way. Why would you start with Generation X? You run out of letters very quickly, but so, in any case, that's where right. we're at. But uh, 1997, let's say that, 1997 to roughly 2014, and so, and I don't even know what the generation that's born 2015 and after would be called, but um, what, one of the things that they grew up with was the student debt crisis. And a lot of these young kids uh, have become persuaded that they don't want to take on a lot of debt to go to college. And yeah. so that's the generation I think that is more open to finding alternative pathways to college to get into the middle class, including the skilled trades. The The problem is that It's a small generation. This is just not a very big generation. So these are the kids of Gen X. Gen X is known as the baby bust generation. We follow the baby boom. So because there's not many of us, there's not many kids that are in Gen Z. But nonetheless, it's a generation that's more open to the construction trades or the skilled trades. Uh, And they might enter in larger numbers, proportionally speaking, than previous generations, the last couple of generations have. So that's a very positive thing. And yes, social media is with them all the time. So guess what? They like to show other people what they're doing with their day, what they're wearing, in fact, but also what they're doing, how creative they're being, you know, the tangible evidence of their output, which is one of the things, of course, that the skill trace gives you, right? So a lot of people file reports and have no idea if they accomplished anything that day. But these folks, you know, welders and people in HVAC, they can actually see, I did this. I made this work. This is happening because of my efforts. And I think right. young people really love that, you know, that that mission aspect or mission-oriented aspect of their life and their livelihoods. And so we're seeing more of that on social media. And you're right, there's influential.
1: Yeah, definitely truth to that. Uh, these guys take extreme pride, and I mean, in something as simple as like how clean I'm able to solder this pipe. Like, look at look at how I didn't waste any extra solder. This looks even and smooth. We're talking about putting copper pipes that nobody will see. They'll go in the dark, and collect dust for, for for the next, you know, in theory you know, 20 years if, if everything works out, but man, they they love to show, I mean, and it is a skill. I don't know how to do that. I mean, so so I'm perpetually fascinated by the by all things that I don't know how to do, and especially that technical type stuff. Uh, and to see someone make a clean cut with a saw or or weld something or solder something, the pride really emanates through. And it's funny because some of the folks that I have in my head right now who share that kind of stuff are not your, you know, they're more Gen X type people who have adopted this yeah. which is funny because it's it's interesting to see the youth but go but the, the other the, way the, you know the
2: younger are also following gen x is starting to get more. well they're
1: more both involved. i think they're both doing it at kind of at the same time yeah. and so they're you know i mean because you know social media has evolved at the same time for everybody no matter how what how old you are instagram has been instagram for you no matter what age you are it, it you know that people who have just glommed onto it and and uh, you know figured out how to increase their brand show their stuff have a little fun, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, we,
2: we here at Central Therm are very fascinated with what's going on in, in social media. Especially in our industry. In our industry, yeah. And I've said this before, I came from the electrical side of the, of the industry. The electrical side typically leads, uh, you know, the mechanical side in a lot of different ways, but I don't see, and I, I still follow the electrical side. I don't see the level of influence and influencers and social media activity on the electrical side as I do on the mechanical side. The, the mechanical side is leading, I think. I Which is fascinating.
1: I wonder if it has to do more with you know to to what Dr. Basu's point is, the the fruits of your labor are a little are bit more tan- tangibly yeah. visible. Yes. If you're installing a bunch of like you know pro press pipes, yeah. if you have a, a a a jigsaw puzzle or a maze of copper piping and gas lines, it looks fascinating as opposed to open Simple up the panel. Router, yeah. You're doing a, everything's you know,
2: hidden behind you know and wire covers and right. it's not it's not as visually striking it's
1: actually even harder to film that stuff too yeah you know i mean like to get in there you need to be zooming in on a button or something like that to you know, connect yeah. the two wires and stuff so it's just harder harder to do all right so so we've taken up a lot of your time we've talked a lot some heady heady topics let's conclude with just you know tell us a little bit about dr basu the man what what like what are you into what what kind of hobbies do you have are you a big orioles fan you know, are you, are you we always still talk music, big no, we, Patrick we'll Ewing guy, to... Hoyas, you know? Yeah. What do you, you mentioned the police, et cetera, et cetera. Who are you? What do you do when you're not crunching the numbers and, and, uh, and writing these mega trends of your
0: own? I'm a geek. So I read Agatha Christie novels. I am a huge Orioles and Ravens fan. That's absolutely true. I watch English soccer a lot. My okay. team What's is team? West Ham United, the hammers of East London um i have successfully vacationed in cumberland maryland before which no one had ever done in the history of the world before i did that um you know so um i you know i love my wife and two girls you know and uh uh, you know that's that's me i love lord of the rings i love harry potter i love uh, south korean zombie flicks um you know that's that's who i am i i i i do a lot of traveling for you know to deliver presentation very parts of the country You'll often see me drinking at hotel bars. I drink too much at hotel bars. Um yeah, thanks, three of us. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. And in uh, we'll fact, I sure. have a white Russian probably after this uh, this webinar, even though it's the uh, early afternoon. So, but it's not going to stop. Five, me. O'clock so,
2: five o'clock. Is it, is it spring? Is it summer? Is uh, it winter? We'll we'll determine that depending on what happens with
0: the
1: economy. Exactly. He said he's like an English soccer fan. I be, I'm pretty sure right now it's five o'clock Greenwich Mean Time. So you're good to go.
0: I'm good um, to go. It's five o'clock somewhere. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so oh, that's-, it, it, that's 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 me and uh i've been running my business since uh, 2004 we've never missed payroll so uh we have payroll next week so i, I hope we'll make it and we'll keep going
1: fantastic well i mean Tony so you hit on all the stuff there uh well actually no you, you left out some bands let's hear some bands so orioles that's fascinating i mean, you know, i'm an al east guy myself yankees i was born in the bronx uh but deep respect for cal ripkin who is like a, sure. just a massive, massive just a hero of, of my youth basically you know um you know uh who are you listening to you said police was your first face brush,
0: brush sticks queen led zeppelin 80s guy um, okay yeah 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 late 70s 80s guy that's why like i wear the sideburns like uh be, you know because i love the 70s you know i love charles bronson films anything charles bronson was in i love so um yeah that's i'm stuck in this i want a camaro you know what my next big purchase is probably a camaro you know yeah, and uh Oh, from back in the 80s or 70s, or is it a new one? No, car? I want a new one. I want a new one with air conditioning, all that kind of stuff, you know. So I I want a 2022 rapid blue with gray interior, uh, you know, six-speed manual, convertible, eight-cylinder. That's what I want, you know, and uh, I want to keep working to get it because, you know, that's what we JetX people do. We work to buy cars, and that's, right. uh, that's what I want to do. And
2: sticks T-shirts, which actually I just bought one,
1: and I should wear it and take a picture so we can insert it. Wow uh that's funny um sticks is a fascinating band they are indeed tommy well, shaw in my mind he's 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 a classic he's a legend oh uh, it just always it just always immediately makes me think of south park because cartman does just as good a job as dennis <laughs> DeYoung young in the backseat of that car singing that song uh, i wish dennis
2: was back i don't know about you but he's got to go back he's got to. Go <laughs>
1: <laughs> sticks that's amazing oh Good. god i didn't think you know hey this is the, this is the point this is why we love to do the podcast because it does go in you know all different directions and that's really what you know obviously it humanizes us all that we all have this the stuff that we like i too am a massive lord of the rings fan um harry potter not my favorite but i like them both that's you know it is what it is and that's what makes this great melting pot of, of the world go round, right where we all have our, our things and uh i mean Hey, can't thank you enough for joining us. This has been um, enlightening and uh, highly entertaining as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on the Mechanical Room. Um, we hope you come back, um, maybe in six or twelve months, depending on where your predictions land. We'll we'll, we'll put you on <laughs> right where the blouse, yeah. right where the bullseye happens and uh, be like, see, go right back to that episode. I was completely correct.
0: Nailed it. Yeah, exactly. So
2: we thank you for your time. Uh, I know you are very busy, and we very much appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to
0: to chat with us. Thank you. All right, uh, Thank you so much. Be well.
1: And we are back. That was um, another great interview, I must say. This year has started off with a bang. Ryan Kiskadden last week, uh, last month, that is, and Dr. Basu this month, both wide ranging really informed very different um you know it's really yeah so one thing that Dr. Basu he was not so into the dream theater or the heavy metal stuff yeah, but he stuff. Was, was into you know, rush like, and yeah,
2: in some sticks uh which I, again I'll have to wear my shirt put it on here
1: indeed well have, uh, maybe I'll just overlay the sticks logo or I'll have you know I'm sailing away playing in the background here or uh, what the blue one? collar man that's the one that's the, one. the blue <laughs> collar man would be perfect it would be for the trades that's right that's It'd right be, uh, that is absolutely perfect oh my god I was listening
2: to this weekend, so it's top of mind
1: <laughs> oh my god they uh man i haven't listened to sticks in in too long i'm gonna have to change that change it up. Put, put it on uh in, in the car as uh as i get ready to edit this this beast of a podcast yeah. um so yeah thanks again to adiban basu that was fantastic i mean there's a reason why he is a speaker at these events and an economist and, uh, well i mean time. right i mean well he he's certainly good at Very all, all of that stuff and I, um, I
2: absolutely loved his his answer on uh immigration
1: czar yeah, yeah. i thought that was
2: as wonderful and way out there kind of you know idea I, I would not i didn't expect that
1: yeah like i said i i mean if you ask the average person let's say uh obviously he's not the average person but you know assume a role well you know i mean nine times out of ten you get president I mean, obviously for the highest one you know some kind of senator or governor or something like that Does director of sales right. uh, well no i mean government agency kind of, oh, kind of you okay. know i mean that, that was my question was if you could assume a role here to, to enact policy or what whatnot it's fascinating that that would be the choice but man it really yeah, would I mean, be yeah. able to affect policy that's that that's way a
2: huge impact
1: right really really huge um yeah like i said i think i said you know i, I was expecting like i don't know chairman of the federal reserve or something like that I was expecting something like that. You know, so so really fascinating, but really kind of a macro fan I mean, he was a professor of macroeconomics. So macro thinking um gets gets you that sort of outside the box perspective. And I mean really fascinating. Czar of immigration. I totally didn't expect that. And what a, what a fascinating and interesting answer. So
2: yep. All right. So I guess that brings us to an end for season two, episode two. Uh, We'll be lining up some interesting uh, guests for for next month. Uh, So stay tuned. Uh, We wish you all well. Signing out.